Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the, the life uh, of Mary. Now, when we, we talk about Mary, uh, we, we generally reserve the conversation of Mary to, to Christmas time, right? Uh, in fact, this was probably the first time that I had really studied the life of Mary outside of context to the Christmas Story And I understand that because obviously uh, Mary played like a really big role in the, the Christmas uh, story. Uh, so we often look at Mary there, but, but Mary's uh, life, Mary's story um, documented in scripture is not uh, a holiday fairy tale. Um, there's a lot about the life of Mary that really is more than a holiday fairy tale, more than a holiday story. Uh, it is a life, a story uh, that was lived with great faith in God. And so uh, today we're going to look at it. We're going to dissect it a little bit. And my prayer is that you will grow from it uh, in the process uh, of this uh, message today. And so Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 through 38. You've probably heard this if you've been in church for any amount of time, um, uh, but it is the story of how Mary discovers she is going to um, conceive and become the mother of Jesus. And it, it begins uh, like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, that was John the Baptist's mother, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. You might want to underline that or circle that if you're, you're taking notes today. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never End. You might want to circle that, highlight that. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be, that will be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
You know, to better understand uh, the life of Mary, um, to better understand her story of faith or her journey of faith, uh, we need to know a little bit about Mary's life. Now, from, from the scriptures in and of themselves, there's, there's not a lot that unpacks Mary's life. And so oftentimes the scripture, what we have to do to make sure that, that we, we have a, a, a total viewpoint, a total grasp of scripture is we've got to understand um, cultural and historical context. We've got to understand things about the society in which the people of the Bible lived in and operated within. And so I want to look at a few things, uh, maybe kind of on a, as a background um, to Mary's life. So there's three things that I want to give you um, that will help you understand the context in which Mary is operating in. And then we'll move on to some things that we can pull out that um, are faith things that hopefully will be beneficial to your life and your journey of following Jesus. So uh, one of the first things that we need to know about Mary is Mary is from Nazareth. The text tells us that, but it doesn't give us much more than that. Nazareth, when you study it, um, was actually a small town in Galilee where the Jews of this particular region were actually despised by the Jews from Judah and Jerusalem and kind of the more elite social Jewish people. There were people who really uh, believed that they were chosen by God, that, that where they lived was better than other places. And, and the people of Nazareth were especially despised because they had to have interaction uh, with Gentiles. They lived in a region, they lived in a place where they had a lot of interaction with people who were not Jewish. And this was not looked uh, upon well in Jewish culture. So when you look at the life of Mary, what you've got to understand is that Mary did not have high social standing within um, uh, her culture. In fact, when Nathaniel, one of the disciples uh, of Jesus, he eventually became a disciple of Jesus, was told about Jesus from Philip. Philip comes and he tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. We have found uh, the one that we've been waiting for. His name is Jesus. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. You know what Nathaniel's response is? You can look at this in the book of John. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? You mean that rinky-dink little town with those people that are like basically unclean Jews because they interact with Gentiles? Can anything come from that place? that has any value, any worth, anything good, you're telling me you found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth? That's the context. Mary has very little to no social standing in her cultures. In fact, she comes from a despised place. Second thing we need to know about Mary is that Mary is most likely a teenager. Now I've seen in our modern world and in our culture, um, bloggers and posters and whatever, influencers, is that what you call them these days? Social media people. <laughs> Say things to the extent, I've said this, I've, or I've seen this, I've read this. How oppressive is it that God would force Mary as a teenager to have a baby. And they take cultural context all out of it. Mary was pledged to be Mary. 
People think that she was forced to this. Listen, you got to understand the world then is not the world now. The average lifespan of a person back then, you would be lucky if you live past 50 years old. So culturally, people were getting married at very, very early ages. They were getting uh, married and having babies at very, very early ages because life expectancy wasn't extensive. Unless you were wealthy, unless you had great medical means back then, like to live to 70 or 80 were only uh, the people that could eat the best food, live in the best environments, all of that kind of stuff. So we have to have a cultural understanding. It's not that God was like, let me just take this little girl and make her have a baby. It goes against the character of who God is. God is good. God is gracious. It wouldn't be abnormal for people to be married as teenagers and begin having babies in biblical context. However, that does not negate the fact that Mary was a teenager. And as a teenage girl, she probably had vision for what her life would be. Who she would marry. When she would start having kids. How those kids would come. What she would name them. Mary doesn't really get a choice. Mary is told, you're going to have a baby. You don't get to pick the name. His name is Jesus. And so put your mind maybe in the, 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 the mind of a teenage girl who is given this information when she has probably journaled or written down on like papyrus or whatever they wrote on back then. Her dreams, her goals, her aspirations, what she would become, all of these things. But she is told by God that she is going to be the mother of Jesus. Now that's important because there's one other thing you, you've got to know that Mary knows. Mary knows having a baby before marriage could ruin everything in her life. Culturally, socially, religiously, financially, this quite literally could be the ruin of her life. It was not socially acceptable, culturally acceptable to have a baby before marriage in biblical times, especially in the culture in which Mary operated. And now this resonates with me greatly because I, I was a teenage father. I know what it's like to have a child as a teenager. My daughter was born when I was in high school. Uh, I would say fortunately for myself and her, her mother, um, we didn't really face a lot of like negativity about it, actually. So I'm kind of thankful for MTV and shows like Teen Mom and things that have like transpired. Like the reality is, and I'm not ever negating or, or saying that it isn't hard to be a teenage parent, but in the era in which we live in, there's more embracing, helping, encouraging uh, uh, in, in our world today for for that particular situation. That would not have been the case for Mary. Mary would have been shamed. Mary would have been unallowed to worship in the temple. Mary most likely would have never been married except to maybe some scumbag guy that would have just married her for whatever reason. Like there's, there's no telling what could have happened to Mary's life. Her family could have totally rejected her 
There could have been a number of things that took place because we've got to remember when God, when the angel comes and he's talking to Mary and telling her these things will unfold. These are things that she knows and she has no idea how they're going to get worked out. But what does Mary say? I'm the Lord's servant. May your words be as you've said. What faith from this young girl. You know, when you look at the story, and for those of you that don't know the the full story, Joseph, the man she was engaged to be married to, did marry her. And, And he was probably looked at in culture and society as a noble guy, a good guy for taking in this girl who was having a child that wasn't his. Because listen, we're all smart people. They were smart people. People do math. They got engaged here. Mary ended up pregnant here. And then they got married here. Like the length of pregnancy hasn't changed over the lifetime of pregnancy. People do the math, right? So the Bible tells us that Joseph had even... Uh, plan to divorce because engagement was actually like marriage, but they didn't do any of married people's stuff until they like got married. It was a different thing back then. But it says that Joseph had planned quietly to divorce Mary, but an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, no, you need to marry that girl because what is inside of her is from God, the Holy Spirit. So Joseph took her in, married her. And so by cultural and society standpoints, Joseph's the winner, man. Joseph's the good guy. There had to have always been a little bit of um, undertow in Mary's little town and village, the way people maybe whispered or talked or thought about. And, And the reason we know this is quite actually because there's this interaction that Jesus has with some religious elite people later on in life where he is claiming to be the son of God And they say, we're the true sons of God. You're illegitimate. There was a stigma that followed Mary that ultimately then followed Jesus that when you really traced it back, Jesus's claims were not really what they could be. He was an illegitimate child and they threw it in his face. So Mary has an understanding. This is her background. She realizes these things. Yet she still says, I'm the Lord's servant. Right? And obviously God worked out some amazing things, but it didn't um, mean that Mary didn't experience any pain in this or any suffering through this or any difficulty through all of this. We sometimes take this Christmas story and we try to package it all up as this just lovely thing. Look at how happy it all is. And and it's amazing. It is. But it wasn't an easy journey to bringing Jesus into this world. So what can we what can we learn from Mary's faith, there's, there's a lot that we can learn. There's three things that I want to give you today that, that I think will help you, um, help you grow in your faith. Um, uh, but I think we've got to first uh, define faith and have a working definition, you know, because faith, we call faith, you know, hey, you know, what's your faith or what faith do you follow, right? We, we claim Christianity as our faith. 
Faith is, faith is deeper than just um, a, a religion of choice. Faith, um, really, and I'll give you a working definition for us, choosing to trust God no matter what. That's real faith. Faith isn't simply just believing in Jesus. It's believing in Jesus so much that you choose to trust God no matter what. That's faith. Faith is this deep wrestling and this deep walking out of continual trust in who God is. Not knowing the outcome. Not knowing what's going to unfold, not knowing what's going to transpire, not knowing even if it's going to work out for good or bad on this side of eternity. Faith is trusting God, choosing to trust God no matter what. And so as we look at the life of Mary and, and, and we want to pull some things out of it that can help us in our faith, one of the things that I want you to write down and take note of is that we must choose to trust God over status. Mary's status in society was not high. She came from a poor town. She was a poor girl. She was despised culturally by other Jews. Society's standard didn't have Mary very high. It didn't make sense for Mary to be chosen to be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. Wouldn't it make more sense if there was a princess? that lived in a castle, that had this great family, it had this amazing uh, income, and surely there were more people like of higher status to be chosen for being the mother of Jesus. You know, the world we live in now, then, and probably forever puts a lot of stock in where you're at in society. A lot of stock in it. We care a lot in our world, and I say we as our world, our culture, our society, cares a lot about status. We care about job titles. We care about financial standing. We care about house. We care about car. We care about influence. We care a lot about popularity. It's really the way that the world is organized. The higher you are in society, the, the higher you can get in society, the better standing you have, the more invitations you get, the more friends you can collect. That's the way the world operates. But what I would encourage you as a follower of Christ, based off of the patterns of God throughout Scripture and even the calling of Mary, who was this poor girl from an unrecognized town, a despised place, is that God doesn't give a flip about your status in society. That should be very freeing, by the way. You don't have to climb any ladders to have any recognition from God. In fact, in Romans 2.11, the Bible tells us that God shows no favoritism. God doesn't care if you're rich. God doesn't care if you're poor. It doesn't mean that he is not involved in the suffering of things in your life and that he doesn't care about hardships that you go through because he does very much so. But the reality is, is, is God is not concerned with the way society positions people. 1 Samuel 16.7 Bible tells us that people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
So what I would encourage you on this faith journey is to make sure as you're journeying along, as you're wanting to grow in your faith, as you're striving to trust God no matter what, that your confidence does not lie in your position, high or low, but that your confidence and trust is in the Lord, no matter what. Because all of the things that typically we are striving for and trying to build, and listen, I'm not negating working hard. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying that you can't achieve. I'm saying make sure that you are not putting status or stock in where you're placed in society because what will end up happening and what happens to so many people is we think if we just do certain things or we gain certain recognition or we achieve certain things, then that positions us in a place uh, that matters and the reality is it doesn't. It doesn't matter to God. God is not looking for someone in a certain position. God is looking for people who are available to be used by him. We don't know why the angel came and said, Mary, you have found favor with God. We can speculate, and I don't want to speculate too far from text, but I would speculate that the reality is that Mary was probably the girl with the least likely idea that she would ever become anything, let alone the mother of Jesus. And so there was just utter humility with who she was. Humility, simplicity, a desire simply to serve God, to love God, to worship God, to love people, to live the way that God wanted her to live. And she finds favor with God. Based on nothing that she achieved, but based on what God saw within her. And so maybe this should be freeing for you, especially if, you don't come from a family that grew up in church. You, you, you don't um, have a big house or a great car. Or you, you, don't, you don't think that because of your background or because of your past or mistakes that you've made that, that you can't be used by God. Listen, don't let labels that society puts on you hinder you from being available to God by trusting him no matter what happens. And so when you look at the life of Mary, you can see that she doesn't put uh, value in her status. She simply trusts the Lord. And so as we grow in our faith, we must choose to trust God over status. Another thing, and, and, and this hopefully will be helpful to you as well, we must choose to trust God over fear and doubt. Mary, when you look at her life, was afraid and had doubts. Those are both clearly stated. The first thing the text tells us is that she was deeply troubled by the things that the angel told her. There was a fear. One, she was probably physically, emotionally afraid because an angel was standing in front of her. If you look throughout scripture, when angels arrive on the scene and they say something to people, usually one of the first things they say is, oh, don't be afraid. I'm from the Lord. People literally think they're about to like, I don't know, 
Something's going to happen. This angelic being's in front of me, talking to me. Don't be afraid. But then he gives this message, and, and it says Mary was deeply troubled. So there was fear there. Then there's also doubt. She says, how can this be? When the angel tells her, you're going to conceive. She's like, what? How can this be? Like, angel, Gabriel, listen, let me tell you something. Uh, I know I'm young. I know I'm married. But I've had the birds and beads talk. I know where babies come from. I hadn't done any of that yet. How can this be? She's literally asking the question. How can this be? I have doubts about this. I'm a virgin. How can I possibly have a child? And so let's, let's talk about fear and doubt. Because I, I think a lot of times, and, and this may not be true for you, but it's true for me. I think a lot of times that we, we package faith in a way um, that says true faith does not have fear and doubt. True faith means that if you're really trusting God, if you really have faith in God, you're not going to be afraid and you're not going to doubt. You're going to have absolute certainty and total courage. I don't think that's true. I don't believe that's what we see in scripture. I would say that true faith typically involves fear and doubt. And so let's talk about these, fear and doubt. Let's talk about fear first. I once heard uh, someone say that fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. That spells fear if you take the first letters. False evidence appearing real. I, I think it's a bad definition of fear. And here's why, because what it does is it tries to negate the reality that we have fears in our lives. It, it says, oh, that fear, if you really have faith, that fear that you're experiencing, that anxiety that you're experiencing, um, that trouble that, that, you're, that you're facing, that tension that you're feeling within you, that apprehension to step forward or to make this decision, like, it's not really real. And if you would just have more faith, you could get through it and make the decision that you need to make or take the step that you, you need to make. But that's not how the Bible talks about fear. In fact, if you really study scripture, 365 times the Bible says fear not. And so that's actually been used 365 times. The Bible says fear not. Don't live in fear. But when you really study the fear nots, they're stated as a recognition of the very real fear the person is experiencing. It's actually confirming that fear is real. And what the Bible is saying and what God is saying when he says fear not is he's saying, listen, I understand that you're afraid. I understand that you have Anxiety. I understand that there's a wrestling inside of you with moving forward or taking that step or doing the thing that you, you want, that I want you to do. I get that there is fear, but here's why I'm saying fear not because I'm with you because I'm with you. And though you may not know the outcome, I do. Though you may not know all of the steps to take, I do. So trust me no matter what. So real faith isn't the absence of fear. 
I actually think faith and fear go hand in hand. Every time there's an opportunity for faith, fear is right there. And every time there is fear in your life, there's a great opportunity for faith. God's saying, fear not, I'm with you. I get that you're afraid. I understand what you're going through, but fear not, because I'm with you. Now let's talk about doubt. Because Mary had doubt. And faith is not the absence of doubt. There's two types of doubt. Really, the type of doubt that you have determines where your faith goes. There's a doubt that absolutely closes down any opportunity for faith. But there's also a doubt that actually allows your faith to be deepened. The doubt that closes out faith or closes down faith is the doubt that refuses to take the conversation any further. Shuts down the conversation, doesn't ask questions, refuses to believe that there is any possibility, even the smallest possibility that what could be said is true. That's not the doubt that Mary had. Mary didn't say, uh, Gabriel, it's physically impossible for me to get pregnant or to be pregnant. And so, you know what? Like, I don't believe you. No, she asked a probing question. It was a question of curiosity. It was a question of wonder. It was a question that led to deepening in faith. Listen, if you have doubts, that's okay. God's big enough to handle your doubts. God's big enough to handle your questions. Where people quit to quit becoming deepened in their faith is when they quit questioning things. Where you begin to question, God, is it, is it really true? Is it really true that, that, that the virgin birth took place? Is it really true that Jesus rose again? These probing questions, I believe that if you dive deep into them, that you really ask questions on questions and you really begin to study and you really try with an open heart and an open mind, though you have doubt to understand, God will reveal these things to you. There can be a doubt. Situations that happen like this week can cause doubt. Is God really just? Is God really good? You can shut those off and have a doubt that says, nope, I've decided that he's not. Or I can have a doubt that says, God, I'm wrestling with this. There's this moment in the, the Bible where Jesus heals this guy's son, but before he heals his son, the guy brought his son to the disciples that couldn't heal him. And this guy is just questioning, like, can this even be done? And it drives him toward Jesus. And Jesus says, anything's possible with faith. And the man falls on his knees and he says, then help me increase my faith. Help me deepen my faith. It was doubt that led him to pursue Jesus more. There's two types of doubt. And so listen, we got to choose to trust God over our fears and doubts. We got to allow our fear to be an opportunity for greater faith. We got to allow our doubts to drive us into deeper faith. Mary was afraid and she had doubt, but she still trusted God no matter what. And then lastly, as we pull one more thing from this, 
We must choose to trust God over the opinion and criticisms of others. You know, there's no doubt that Mary faced all types of, of criticism, that people had opinions of, of who she was. How did she end up pregnant, the speculations. You know, because the story for her to go share is not, it's not even reasonable. Can you imagine walking into your parents' bedroom and just being like, oh, Mom, Dad, got to tell you something. Um... I'm pregnant by God. I know I'm being kind of funny, but it's the seriousness of it. His word trickled out to the community like, how unbelievable is that? And so there's no doubt that people gossiped and that people, because people are people. People talked about it, they had opinions about it, they had doubts about it. It's very unlikely that many people believed Mary's story, but Mary chose to trust God over the opinion and criticism of others. Walking in faith, trusting God, it's never gonna be the end thing or the easy thing for us to do. I really believe that when we decide to live our lives for Jesus, when we decide to truly trust God no matter what with our lives, uh, the decisions we begin making don't make sense to the world. Because here's the reality, the things of God are so radically different than the things of the world. It creates confusion for people who are not following Jesus. Why in the world would that young person not just be having fun with their life, not just be going out on Saturday night. Why are they up at the church serving? Why are they uh, involved in groups? Why do they read their Bible? Why? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the coworkers when the husband doesn't go out afterwards. It doesn't make sense to the guy that I know right now in a, in a fire academy who is striving to be a, a, a firefighter. Uh, why everyone makes fun of him when he chooses not to go out with the boys after class, but he chooses to go home to his wife. It doesn't make sense to the world. It's confusing to them that he would protect his purity that he would protect his marriage. Doesn't make sense to him. The world likes to talk a lot about helping people and doing things. It doesn't make sense to the world, really. They can voice all they want about certain topics and certain things. It doesn't make sense, but to the kingdom of God, there are things that don't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to take in children that don't belong to you. The world likes to paint a pretty picture of how good they are to people. A picture about helping people. It's the people of God that adopt more children than any other section of the population. It's the people of God who give more financially to help feed people around the world like you guys do through one child. These things that we do, it doesn't make sense for you to take a portion of your income and give it back to the church. It's confusing to people, but the things of God are always going to be confusing. And here's what I've learned. The more you stop caring about other people's opinions and criticisms, the more free you live in who you are in Christ. 
Because in reality, who cares what they think? Because we're not living to please them, we're living to please God. In the greater steps of faith that you take, the more you begin to trust God, the least it will make sense to them, the less it'll make sense to them. And they will criticize, and they will talk, and there will be opinions, but who cares? Listen to what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of those who could even kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Live to bring glory to God. I'm gonna call the band up as we get ready to close out. And so just to recap, as we look at the life of Mary, if we wanna grow in our faith, we gotta choose to trust God over our status. We gotta choose to trust God over fear and doubt. And we must choose to trust God over the opinion and criticisms of others. You know, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I didn't really know how to conclude this message. I'm not usually a person that's short on words or thought, but this week I was wrestling, like, how do I, how do I wrap this conversation about Mary up? And uh, I wasn't sure, and so I'll just ask for you to bear with me because I don't know if this thought is fully developed yet, but I want to share it anyways. This is a bonus point, if you will. Uh, we must choose to trust God even when we don't understand the outcome. You know, Mary, there was a, there was a prophecy when you study her life. You know, Mary, Mary did what, you know, every mom would do. Mary was excited about her baby boy and Mary a Jewish girl and Joseph they, they took Jesus to be dedicated as a child and, you know, she's a young mom she's doing what the best she can making the decisions of how to raise this child knowing that there's something special and there's something unique and there's a promise from God that he's going to have a kingdom that will never end not even knowing what any of that means and when they go to dedicate Jesus, as you read in Luke chapter two, verse 35, there's a prophecy over Jesus as a baby, but then there's a prophecy that includes Mary within that prophecy. And the old man who is literally saying, God, my eyes have seen Savior. He prophesies over Jesus and he prophesies over Mary and he says this essentially about Mary. He says, He says all of these good things, but then he tells Mary this. He says, a sword will pierce through your heart so that the hearts of others can be revealed. He says, Mary, this little baby boy of yours, it's gonna be some amazing things that happen, but people are gonna be against him. And what happens to him is gonna be like a sword piercing through your heart so that the hearts of others can be revealed. You know, I don't think, and this is just opinion, I don't think Mary's greatest act of faith was saying yes despite her own suffering. 
Mary knew that this would be difficult. She knew where she was from. She was a teenager. She knew that people would talk. She knew the implications of what it could be to say yes in obedience to God. But I don't think her greatest act of faith was to say yes despite her own suffering. I think her greatest act of faith was trusting God through her son's suffering. You see, for anybody in this room that's a parent, you know that the worst thing that you will ever experience is when your son or daughter is hurting and there is nothing you can do about it. When they go through something difficult, when they go through something painful, and as a parent, if you've seen your child go through anything, your heart just hurts. So if you've ever had that experience or you've ever had that pain, no matter how big or small it may be in comparison to others, take it and multiply it by an infinite amount of times to what Mary experienced. You see, when we look at the life of Mary, we think about Mary's faith, we can't forget that she had to watch the same little hands that wrapped around her finger in a manger be nailed to a cross. We can't forget that Mary had to watch the forehead of the baby that she kissed be pierced by a crown of thorns. We can't forget that Mary had to watch the back that she used to scratch of Jesus when he fell asleep on her lap as a child be ripped apart by a whip. I can't forget that Mary had to watch her son be crucified for the sins of the world. And in watching all of that, still trust God no matter what. In the midst of all of that, to still trust the promise that God gave her as a teenage girl that your son will be the son of God and that his kingdom will last forever. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where your faith and trusting God is at right now. What I do know and what continues to be confirmed in my life over and over again and when I study these great people of faith throughout scripture is that God's promises always come true. That his promises, the Bible says, are yes and amen, that they will be. Mary didn't know what was gonna happen three days later. Mary didn't know that that wasn't the end of the story. And I believe that Mary kept trusting God. God, I believe that your promise to me was yes and amen. I believe that my son will have a kingdom that will last forever. I don't know how that's gonna be, but I believe you still, God. I'm trusting you no matter what. And three days later, Mary got to see her son rise from the dead. And then she got to be there as he ascended 
back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. She got to be there as the Holy Spirit filled the room in acts and empowered the church to become what it is today. Listen, let faith, let trust in God no matter what be the thing that drives you in this life because you will see the goodness of God. That's why the great psalmist says, oh, the joy of those who trust in the Lord. Oh, the joy who trust in the Lord. I don't know what you need faith in today. I don't know what you need to trust God in today, but I wanna pray for you as we close out today. I wanna just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fill you with a faith that trusts God no matter what. That no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you walk out of this uh, church back into, that you would have the ability, despite fear, despite criticism, despite opinions, to despite anything, status, whatever it may be, that you would have the strength to walk in faith, not by sight. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, this morning, pray over your people. Father, I pray over every situation and circumstance in this room, known and unknown, seen and unseen, God. Father, you know everything that every person in this room is facing and you're with them. We don't know the outcome. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's next. But God, we know that we can put our trust in you because you're a trustworthy God. That you are a good God. That you are a faithful God. So God, what I pray over our church today is that in every unknown and uncertain fearful moment that anybody in this room is facing any wrestling any struggling God that you would bring your Holy Spirit fill them to come alongside them and as they face the fear and as they face the doubt and as they face the uncertainty as they may have faced the criticism God that you would give them the strength to walk in faith, trusting you no matter what. And we pray all of this in the name above all names. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.